Going Linux, episode 335, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email at goinglinks at gmail.com or call our voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In this episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are you? All right. As our listeners may notice with our uh, busy schedules and the holiday here in the U.S., we took a little bit of time off. We might have announced it up front, but we didn't know that was going to happen. So, <laughs> so <laughs> here we yourself. are. I didn't take it off. I was working. Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, off of podcasting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you had to be very specific. That's true. Anyway, um, we have been getting some feedback from some of our listeners who want to join uh, the Minion Network. So yeah. after bantering it around a little bit between ourselves, we've just come up with an idea we think will work. So if you want to uh, join the Minion Network, you can record a two to five minute tip and you can send it to us and then uh, we will insert it into the show. What do you think about that, Larry? I think that's great. So are we requiring our audience to get uh, professional audio gear so that they can record the two to five minute tip? Or are you suggesting that they just write it out so we can read it? Or it can be a combination, but if they would like to record it, uh, do not go buy professional equipment because you cannot sound better than us. Uh, (laughs) Well, they can. It's just we don't want them to. Is that it? No. So <laughs> what what uh, I suggest um, is Audacity, which we use, and uh, a headset mic or whatever kind of mic you have. Uh, when you send it to us, you can send it to us in AUG, MP3, or um, I don't know. Does Audacity uh, support AAC? I believe it does, but whatever is most convenient for you. If whatever is convenient for you, MP3 or AUG are, are usually the easiest. And, you know, you can, you can sample it up uh, to, it doesn't have to be super high. Um, you can sit about medium and just kind of uh, uh, take your time, record it, and uh, we'll uh, listen to it. And, and uh, we will, uh, if it's uh, something good, we'll, we'll insert it into the show and give you credit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you don't have any way to record, even, you know, a cell phone or, you know, whatever, uh, and or you don't want to have your voice heard <laughs> on a podcast, <laughs> uh, which, you know, hey, some people feel that their voice isn't podcast worthy, and that's fine. Uh, either way, uh, you can send us an audio file or you can just write to us with your tip and we will include that in the show. And as you will hear in our listener feedback, we've already got several volunteers to do just that. 
Yes, and uh, by the way, uh, anybody that sends in feedback, if it's too good, I'm going to lose that file. Because <laughs> I don't want to be replaced. Hey, he's got a great podcast voice. Bill, you're retired. Yeah. No, it's, seriously, uh, just um, whatever's convenient for you guys, send it in, and uh, we will um, give you credit, and you can officially join the uh, Minion, Minion Network. Network. Yeah. And where you're sending it is goinglinux at gmail.com. And yes, I get to it before Bill does, so it won't get lost. (laughs) (laughs) So you think. Oh, okay. Ooh, challenge accepted. Yes. All right. Anyway, let's get started with our listener feedback because we have a lot today. Yes, we do. All right, then. Andre wrote... One installation file alternative. Hello, great weekly knowledge pill. Keep them coming. The last episode especially, which I loved for its clarity and explanations, raised my eyebrow. As I was listening, I was wondering if this one installation file that you were speaking of was something that I have written. Andre is talking about our episode on uh, the snap packs and uh, all of the... Uh single file packaged applications. Um, Continuing with his email. I've already gone Linux six years ago. I don't regret it one bit now. And although I would like to admit otherwise, the learning process automatically implies a few OS reinstallations. They are fairly painless, but keeping track of all the applications is a memory exercise unless you jot them down on each installation. So I thought... Wouldn't it be really helpful to have a program keep track of that for you? Being the script kitty that I am, I thought of writing something in Bash, which is a universal Linux language. Over the years, it molded itself in Karate Package. That must be the name of the package that he created, Karate Package, which keeps track of all packages that you want to install, bloatware that you want to purge, and attempts to support multiple packaging systems, currently only apt and EOPKG. All you need is this one installation file and the script itself, so I thought it fits your subject. If you use it and stumble upon any feedback, send it my way. Writing your configuration file might take some time, but in the end, it's worth it. Looking forward to the next show, Andre. And the Curate package is C-U-R-A-T-E dash P-K-G. So if you're looking for that, uh, I haven't checked to see if that's in the repos, but uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah, well, when he said automatically implies a few OS reinstallations, boy, a few, I must have racked up 50 of those things. In my well, time. That's how you learn, right? <laughs> that's how you learn. It was a common uh, joke among us for a while that it was like, okay, which uh, OS are you running today, Bill? So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah and um, there's also a one-line thing that you can use to save a list of all the packages that you have installed and save them to a file and then reinstall them from that file. I know... Quite some time ago, we did an episode that included that tip. I'll take a look for it, and if I can find it, I will include that in our show notes. Okay, our next email 
comes from Greg, who wrote about another old computer use, ZoneMinder. Hi, Larry and Bill. I was just listening to an old episode of the Linux Link Tech Show, episode 183, from March 14, 2007, just 10 years ago. They interviewed the developer of a software package called ZoneMinder. It's a versatile video recorder for monitoring and surveillance that's Linux-based. They have available packages for Ubuntu, Debian, Red Hat, Gentoo, and source code for the others. In fact, their web page specifically states they do not have a version for Windows and have no plans to make one. There is also a mobile app called ZM Ninja for iOS and Android. The hardware requirements vary depending on things like how many cameras, how many frames per second you want, uh, etc. Uh, for the criteria. It, it will use just about any camera and the analog ones are preferred for the best quality images. It appears that the processing limit with modern 2007 PC hardware is around 25 to 30 cameras. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, my thinking is that you could put an old PC to use with with one of, or two easily. Since ZoneMinder uses a LAMP server, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, it would be a simple install over a Ubuntu server installation, which automates LAMP setup during the OS install. Since that would be a command line only system monitoring and setup for of ZoneMinder is done from its Apache web server on a remote desktop system, laptop, tablet, or a phone. You can monitor and control your system from practically anywhere. There is also the capacity to control things like camera tilt pan, lights, etc. Although the program appears in the Ubuntu repository, they caution that it is an old version. So downloading the latest version from the website is recommended. They have it their own PPA for the Ubuntu version. They also have a wiki and forms for support. All in all, a pretty good use uh, for an old computer. Oh, a Raspberry Pi 3 can also run this software in a limited role. 73 Greg W8FJK. Wow, that's pretty cool. 20 to 30 cameras. There's not that many cameras in my where I work. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, well, that's quite a limitation. I mean, wow, for those people with like 60 cameras, I mean, what are they going to do? I guess they could use two Raspberry Pis. <laughs> but you do realize it's that he's talking this, that was on 2007 hardware. Yeah. So, oh, you well. may, so yeah, you can buy a, a, it seems like you could buy a, the cheapest netbook in 2017 and run... 3,000 cameras, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. see, yeah. But we'll have a link to both ZoneMinder and to the Linux Link Tech Show episode uh, in our show notes. And that, um, you know, it was 10 years ago, and they were on episode 183. Ooh. So, yeah, they've been around a long time, and they're still going strong. So, yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Uh, okay, we will move on to now Greg's email. And this is the same Greg who sent yes. us that last email. Yeah, he wrote again with feedback about getting help with Linux. Hi, Larry and Bill. I just listened to episode 313, Getting Help with Your Linux System. 
One built-in source of information that wasn't mentioned is the GNU info package for the command line. Bill mentioned using the man command, but this takes a further step. It describes hundreds of commands in easy-to-understand language. He's talking about the GNU info uh, <clears throat> command now. Uh, hundreds of commands in easy-to-understand language, and if you ask for a tutorial, it automatically loads the appropriate man page for the command of interest. From a command line session or from a terminal window in the graphical user interface, simply type info and then the program name. For example, info nano for a description of nano, or just type info alone for the home menu of info. 73 Greg W8FJK. Huh. Well, thanks, Greg. Great tip. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Okay. So I learned something new today. The day is complete and go back to bed. <laughs> no, you've got another email to read, Bill. No going back <sighs> to bed. Our next email comes from Ray. And if I'm misspelling it or misspeaking it, I'm sorry. But, you know, you just got to tolerate me. Anyway, Ray provided this feedback. Hi guys, first I wanted to say that I love the show. Even being a Linux user since the early 2000s, there is a lot of to learn from the discussions and user questions. I wanted to ask you guys to discuss further the subject of package, packages systems like Snap. I understand the advantages to have something like this value available, but it seems that it would be a bad idea to have every program installed in this fashion. The shared li libs, or I guess humans libraries, would have traditionally saved tons of memory usage. If I have GIMP and Inks Inkscape, each of them running its own GTK library, isn't it a bit pointless since the system would be running already those libraries? Also, the repositories like Ubuntu's PPA and Arch's uh, AUR seems to be extremely easy to use and efficient. What are your opinions on the subject? Thanks again for the great show. Sincerely, Ray. Uh, I think we could look at them. Uh, I haven't played with any of the Snap packages. I'm dig um, I like to get everything from the repos, but uh, the, I've used the PPA a few times and it works. I don't run Arch, so I don't know about Arch's AUR uh, package system. What do you think, Larry? Yeah, so we covered Snap packages and other packages in episode 333. And uh, yeah, if, if uh, we think we can get a little more detail around Snap packages, maybe we can cover that. And this might be a topic for our Minion Network to tackle. So if anybody has some deep knowledge about Snap packages and would like to share that on our show, go ahead and uh, record something or just write it out so we can read it on the show. And uh, we'll dig into that um, with your article as a member of our Minion Network. And We'll dig in a little bit more if we can find additional detail beyond what you provide. So thank you. Thanks for the suggestion, Ray. Thank you. Okay, Craig provided a suggestion about DD progress. Hi, Larry and Bill. Enjoying the show as always. I had been a gone Linux story on episode 332, but just as a follow-up 
to that, I am now running Ubuntu Mate 17.10 on my wife's desktop after managing to finally talk her into it. She hasn't had any complaints, and so I'm assuming it is going well. Also, I have switched to stock Ubuntu 17.10 on my laptop. And I'm enjoying that greatly, as my battery life seems to be better than under Mate 16.04. Also, I wanted to make mention of a DD command as a follow-up to episode 334. In Ubuntu 16.04 and up, I understand that this command is now a built-in function. This is for displaying the progress of DD. The command is sudo dd if equals, and that's your input file, and of equals, and that's your output file, uh, and then status equals progress. Thanks again for all your hard work on the show. Okay. Seems like there's a lot of people using DD. Yes, it's a very powerful program. Okay. We also have uh, uh, Heath, uh, who wrote of DD and Minions. Oh boy. Larry Grew and Minion Bill. <laughs> Larry Grew, that's great. Yeah. I uh, don't have as pointed a nose as Grew does, but. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to volunteer as an honorary Minion Junior Apprentice Slave Minion. Wow. <laughs> that's great. Junior Apprentice Slave Minion. Wow. I like that. On that note, my favorite way to keep tabs on the progress of DD is to uh, append status equals progress to the command, for example, sudo dd if equals dev backslash sda uh, space of equals dev. Anyway, it's in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's the same so, command that Craig. Uh, yeah, it's the same ago. command. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want to see what it looks like, go to show notes. I'm not going to read it because it sounds like gobbledygook. Um, it puts the progress right in the terminal and and saves having to have a second uh, terminal window to run the pk command over and over. Heath, Perth, Australia. Okay, Heath, the you your honorary junior apprentice slave minion. Good job. <laughs> yeah, thanks for volunteering, Heath. Okay, Yoren also chimed in about DD. Copying <laughs> files with DD apparently is a popular topic, so I would like to add my little contribution. If you want a progress meter for DD, you can add status equals progress to the command line. <laughs> that will continue to print out as much as been copied without any extra signals. The option was added in release 8.24 of Core Utils, according to the news file, in July of 2015. So it's been around a while. And wow. yeah, we should have added that to our uh, notes on DD, but hey, it's only been around for what, uh, three years, two years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, our research department is extensive, so we'll have to go yeah. beat them. Yeah, I did, yeah. didn't, don't know how they missed that. But. <laughs> so our next email comes from Ken, who's a small box admin, and he wrote to volunteer. Hey, Larry and Bill, I would like to participate as part of the Going Linux Minion Network. As you or may not know, I'm a daily Linux user since the mid-90s, both desktop and server. Thanks, Ken. 
Okay, Ken. I'm going to make you the junior assistant super duper small box of min minion. So <laughs> we, we're going to have to keep track of these titles now. You know that, Bill. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I know. So, yeah, Ken, if you uh, wanted to send us a uh, uh, something, we will uh, include it because Ken's been, I, mean, I think he's been around for in our community for a very long time and he knows his stuff. Yeah, he's also the moderator of our uh, Google Plus community uh, chat group. So uh, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken, for oh, all that hard work. Moderator minion. Mod- moderator minion. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I'm getting too happy with the minion titles. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has the same title. It's minion. <laughs> well, wait, wait a minute. Okay. There we go. I can't have all the right. same. I have to be. I have to be something. Well, I got to be something beside minion. You're Gru. Yeah. Okay. All right, I thought you gave. I thought you gave up the chief executive minion. I did, title. but I don't want anybody else to take it. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, well, you've had I'm, two I'm, I'm selfish that way. No. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I'm moving on. Jeff wrote about disc cloning. Hi guys, love the show. Yet another follow up for your show covering disc cloning. Uh, the topic that would never die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My method of disk cloning is to use a dual external drive dock with built-in standalone hardware disk cloning capability. I bought mine from Amazon for around $40. That seems like a reasonable price. Every month I plug my system boot disk into slot A on the dock and my backup drive into slot B. Press the clone button and around 10 to 15 minutes later it's done. And then... I use the new clone as my system disk for the next month, so I know the clone operation has been successful. This has worked great for the last nine months or so, and I've never had a clone failure. Also, the dock clone operation doesn't care what format the drive has. It will do a block-by-block copy of any disk. The only caveat is that the destination disk has to be the same capacity or larger than the source drive. Which means that if you are swapping the disks every time you do a backup using this cloning device, um, you're going to have to have them exactly the same size. Because if you have one that's larger than the other, when you go to copy the large one to the small one, it's not going to work. Just a little aside. And, oh, by the way, uh, Jeff, if you have a chance, send us in the model number of that dock device. Uh, It might be something that some of our listeners would like to get a hold of. Sounds like a useful device. Now, continuing with Jeff's email. For some background, TLDR, too long, didn't read, I've been tinkering with Linux off and on for about 15 years, but I've always used Mac OS for work and home use. There are some Mac apps that do things that aren't covered by Linux, but most obvious for me being Xcode for iOS development. So the Mac will always be my main system. For info, the disk cloning apps on the Mac Super Duper or Carbon Copy Cloner set the gold standard for ease of cloning. Both will happily clone any attached volume, including the volume you're currently booted from, in the background while you continue to use the system. That sounds really useful. 
you can set a schedule for this to happen automatically. So every Friday at 11 p.m., my Mac mounts a backup volume, does the clone incrementally, unmounts the backup volume, and then sends emails to me with the results. Both apps are also happy to clone a source disk to a destination disk with smaller capacity as long as the used space on the source does not exceed the space on the destination. That's also very handy. I've been impressed with the progress Linux distros have made, so I decided to take another look. I bought a used Core i7 HP desktop from an electronics recycling store and a bunch of 120 gigabyte SSDs for $35 each. I also bought an external eSATA drive dock and a SATA to eSATA adapter cable so I could connect the eSATA dock to a SATA connector inside the HP desktop. This has made it trivial to install and try out various flavors of Linux without messing with multi-boot managers. If I want to try a new distro, I power off the system, remove the current boots, boot disk from the dock, plug an erased SSD into the dock, and go ahead with the install without worrying about messing up any existing OSs. All my data files live on a Synology NAS, so the boot drives are just that, and I can swap between different boot disks at will. I can even plug in the original Windows 7 disk that came with a PC and use that if I want to, but I never want to. It also makes it easy to carry out my monthly clone operation, as I can just unplug the drive with the system powered off, of course, and insert it into my cloning dock. After trying Ubuntu, Anturgos, Manjaro, SUSE, Mint Mate, Zorin, CentOS, and maybe a couple of others I've forgotten about, I've settled on Solus Budgie for the time being. I like the look and feel of Solus, the app and update management setup, and it's been a rock solid. From listening to some other podcasts, I also like the philosophy and thought that Ike puts into his development work. Anyway, sorry for the long email. But the hardware cloning dock is working well for me, and I thought it might work for some others too. So please pass this along if you think it's worth sharing. Cheers, and keep up the good work. Thanks, uh, and thank you for the long email, Jeff. Yeah, and uh, Jeff, if you have uh, Ike's uh, contact information, we'd be interested in talking to him, maybe getting an interview. Sounds like he has a good uh, a distro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that there's some sort of contact on the Solus yeah. website that might get you to Ike or someone on the team. But he might have an inside that I don't know oh, about. Oh, okay. You're trying to yeah. the inside track. That sounds good. I'm trying to inside track. Hey. Anyway, thanks for writing that. That was very good. And uh, uh, that's that's a clever way to try out different operating systems. That's, yeah, I like I, it. I didn't even think of that. But then again, I don't think of a lot of things. So, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, rip that idea off. Anyway, uh, our next email comes from Allie, and he has a question about snaps. Hey, I recently started to listen to your podcast. It's really great. Thanks a lot for doing this, guys. In traditional packaging systems, if package A needs package B as a dependency, first the package manager checks if it is already installed or not. If it is installed, then they just download A. If not, they download A and B, so it, dec it decreases the amount of the download. 
Also, if B is a library, it goes to the library folder once and all the other apps use that. So I don't have to have it two times if two apps need it. What I understand from snaps and how they work, maybe I'm wrong, correct me please, is that the app and all its dependencies are packaged in one snap package and you download it and it works on any distro. Is that sacrificing the top uh, mentioned advantages? I should download all the libraries even if I have installed them for another snap and also put them on my disk twice if I have two apps that need a single library. And if I have to accept these duplications in download and on my disk, isn't that a big disadvantage of snaps? Sorry for my long message and my bad English. I hope to bring it up. Best regards, Allie. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question, Larry. Yeah, uh, some of the package systems that we mentioned in that episode do try to uh, manage the fact that there are duplicate libraries and duplicate uh, programs, dependencies that may be needed for all of these packages. But yeah, that is is a big disadvantage of snaps and other packages that work in this way, that just like with Windows EXE files or whatever their current installation file format is, uh, all of the dependencies come with most of these packaging schemes and you have multiple copies of the the dependencies now on the other hand an advantage is if one of the software applications that you're installing requires a really old version of a package for some reason then you don't have to have a separate folder with that application uh, library or dependency in a different location and manage that whole thing, Snaps, in that case, will manage it for you and you don't need to worry about it. So pluses and minuses to doing it this way. Uh, the big plus is you only have one file to install. The big minus is you have everything in that file, even if it's a duplicate of something you already have. All right. Okay. And Greg, a different Greg this time, volunteers for the Minion Network. <laughs> we, we need we we need some echo on that, or we need some music. Minion or, Network, work, work, work. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Oh, perfect. Okay. Larry Great. and Bill, I'd like to become part of the Minion 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 Network Network Network. <laughs> To help give back to a podcast I have gotten so much out of would be great. Not sure what you would want to know, but I'm a Linux user and I am Linux admin at work. I'm certainly no expert at anything, but willing to help. Greg. Well, thanks, Greg. I don't think any thanks. of us here claim to be an expert in anything, so you'll fit right in. Hey, wait a minute. I'm an expert in messing things up. Oh, okay. With the exception of Bill messing things <laughs> up, none of us... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <Yeah. laughs> thanks. Anyway, Greg. hey, yeah, thanks, Greg. And uh, if you hear something that you want to uh, uh, write about or record and send it to us, we will uh, include it. Yeah. So, um, and he's a uh, Linux admin at work, so I'm sure he could give us some insight that uh, we uh, don't know or or can use help with. Yeah, maybe some horror stories about admin <laughs> administering networks. Look, I just want to uh, uh, say that this is another one. Uh, the topic will not die. Mike provided a file on GRSync. Good morning, Mike. 
on your recent episode, you had a listener write in asking if you uh, archived the GRSync information from a university website that is no longer available. Attached is a PDF printout of that same information I made after listening to that episode. Can you please pass it along? Thanks for all you do, Mike. You know, Larry, it never ceases to amaze me, uh, our, our our listeners. They are so resourceful. I can't find it. Oh, I have a printout for you. <laughs> yes. And in addition, Michael, not the same as Mike, provided an alternative link to that article. <laughs> hey, guys, there was a question on your last show about the University of, University of Auckland backup tutorial and how it's no longer publicly available. It can be accessed on the Web Archive site. I never thought about that, but yeah, it makes sense. And we'll have a link to that in the uh, in the show notes to the archive.org uh, version from April 10th, 2017, when it was still publicly available. Listeners who want to ensure future access might want to print the guide to PDF like Mike did. Cheers, Michael. There you go. All right. Uh, Adrian, who suggested Dominion Network, is volunteering to join. <laughs> mm-hmm. I figured that We're out. Li- they're lining up. <laughs> yep. They want to work for Gru Larry, or Larry uh, Gru, I should say. Uh, what, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just appreciate hi. your involvement with yes, uh, the we, podcast. We really yeah. do. Uh, hi, Larry and Bill. Did another long drive listen to episode number 334? Adrian's the guy that listens to our show when he drives, <laughs> banging on the steering wheel. You're getting it wrong. Anyway, please add me to the mini network mailing list. P.S. Bill, were you serious about diving deeper into file system partitions, backing up and restoring? Just say so, and I'll start working on some stuff. And I did respond to uh, Adrian, and I copied you, Larry, and said, mm-hmm. yeah, I was interested in kind of what we were looking for. And uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to see what he comes up with. Absolutely. And Adrian provided us with a written article. Uh, hey, Larry and Bill, I've written a document about file systems. It could be the beginning of a series, build on the cloning backup episode. The document is not complete, and I have not read it twice, as I normally do. (laughs) Treat it as a draft slash taster. It may be too deep for your taste. Just let me know. Also, I'm not sure if reading this text aloud would work. I have tried not to use parentheses and quotes, but would need a read before recording it, I think. Before I go on... I would like some feedback. Sentences too long, pronounceable, content too technical, uh, too verbose. Others, thanks in advance, Adrian. Well, Adrian, we'll take a look at what you've written and uh, anything else that anyone else wants to send to us as uh, proofread before we actually uh, distribute it to our uh, our audience, either uh, through the podcast or what I'm thinking is if we end up with something that's too long for an episode... Uh, maybe we can include it as an article on our website and give you attribution there. So, yeah, um, yeah let's take a look at this, Bill. Uh, I think we both have the file now. If not, I'll send it over to you and uh, we can take a look at it and give some give Adrian some feedback on what he's written. So thanks, Adrian. Okay. Thanks, Adrian. Our next uh, email come from Paul, who wrote us just before the U.S. holiday. And that's Thanksgiving for you guys over across the pond. Hi, 
Bill and Larry. I hope you both had a great Thanksgiving. I really enjoyed the podcast, and I've re- received so much help and encouragement and going links from you both. I have an 8 gigabyte flash drive and decided to reformat the drive using the flash drive reformat tool in Mint 18.1. After the, f- the reformat, the drive is now read-only. I looked at various online forums, and this seems to be a common problem after format. The drive automatically becomes read-only. Although it seems I've reformatted thumb drives before without an issue like this. The fixes I've seen in the forums are varied and look complex. One easy fix was to reformat the drive in Windows. Not for me. I can't believe there is not an easy fix in Linux. I have write access to the drive as root, but I'm looking for general write access. Have you heard of about this? And is there a easy solution to make the drive generally read, write, accessible? Thanks, Paul in Texas. I thought about this, Larry, and I'm mm-hmm. just wondering if um, there is a box that the, that he forget to check. Um, and when he says rewrite it, is he in, is he installing like a file system? Because you remember when you we had something very similar, um, maybe it was last year. They were making a bootable thumb drive, and you had to uh, tell the program that you wanted, you know, it created another partition that you could rewrite to. So I'm just wondering if it's a checkbox somewhere. I don't know. Uh, he he didn't elaborate, and I haven't used Mint uh, for a while. Oh, and I'm not really recalling their reformat tool, so it could very well be. He's forgotten a checkbox somewhere, but he did write us back and he said that he used UNet Bootin and it's now read write. So I'm assuming that he was, since he was using UNet Bootin, he, he was trying to create a bootable thumb drive for installing a Linux distribution. And that's certainly one way to do that. You don't have to reformat before you, before you use that tool. Uh, Another thing you could do is use a command line tool to reformat. And uh, a third thing would be to use the disks application that I think most GNOME-based distributions provide. I don't know whether it's in Mint now or not uh, as something that's in the menus. Uh, But the disks tool is something that allows you to manage the disks, including do some maintenance on them and and things simple things like reformatting uh, and repartitioning and that kind of thing. So lots of different opportunities there. But since he's got it working, I don't think it's a an issue for him anymore. Way to go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now uh, here's a name that I am very likely to mispronounce, but I think it's C. Mohammed uh, and. C. Mohammed has a topic suggestion. Hi, can you please dedicate an episode of Going Linux Podcast to the Linux great capabilities on digital forensics? Kane, Deft, the Sleuth Kit Autopsy, uh, regards, and then uh, at Sim4N6. Hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that's a handle on forums and other places. So, um, okay. (laughs) Uh, that may be another topic that our minion network, somebody with some experience in any of these forensic type programs might 
be able to provide us uh, something written on or something recorded on because neither Bill nor I are experts in forensics, digital forensics. Uh, Certainly, I don't have any experience other than playing around with some of these things, uh, (laughs) which doesn't count as expertise in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know about you, Bill. Are you a, a digital forensics expert? Not even close. <laughs> I am so far away from digital forensics that uh, uh, it would be Alaska, and I'm in Florida type of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Not happening. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I can look into it. And if any of our uh, – hold on. Minion Network Work Work wants to uh, <laughs> uh, you know, try – or they're experts, please help us. Okay. Moving on, Scott requests some help. First off, congratulations on another book release. I bought a physical copy of Using Ubuntu Mate at the recommendation of Matthew Prey at the MRP Tech Podcast. The use of color screenshots was a nice touch. Well, congratulations, Lee. That's your second book, isn't it? It is, and using Ubuntu Mate and its applications is the title of the book, and it's available on Amazon. We'll have a link in the show notes. Shameless plug. Yes. Buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Okay. Second, uh, looking to for help with using Mate and diagonal menus. I wanted to stick with a regular Ubuntu uh, DE. And while I can add cinnamon to a clean Ubuntu install, it's not a regular flavor. I am currently running Zubuntu, and I keep wanting to give Mate uh, or Mate a whirl, but a small UI quirk keeps steering me back to a Zubuntu. When I click on the menu, such as System, and go down to the Preferences, I can see Personal down in the bottom right and want to move my mouse diagonally to get there like any other menu, Mac or Linux desktop. But doing so drops the menu. Mate makes me go sideways to hardware before I can go down to personal like I'm playing Tron or Pac-Man. Sorry guys, that that was funny. (laughs) This little quirk drives me nuts. Any other system I use allows a delay before the menu is lost, so diagonals are allowed. Uh, are, the, are there any tweaks out there to allow me to use a menu like I can on all of the other systems I run and support? I seem to remember seeing a bug report on this somewhere, but the bug maintainer has denied that it was a bug. <laughs> okay. This seems limited to the uh, DE as applications such as Firefox look like they support diagonals okay. I have tried KDE and don't really like it, but I am willing to play with other uh, DEs, including Ubuntu 17.10 Clean. It's just that I have this new nice book and I really want to use it. Thanks for all you guys do. Yeah, okay, diagonal menus. I think he's explained it fairly well, but... Uh, if you're using Mate and you have a menu that extends off to the right, so there's a sub menu, 
in Mate, if you want to go into that submenu, you can't just move your mouse from you know the top menu down diagonally to the uh, submenu, even though it's displayed there on the screen. Because as soon as you move it uh, in any uh, off of the first set of menus, it's going to as he describes it, drop that second set of menus, that, that sub-menu. Uh, and what, what I, I, you know, quite frankly, I never really noticed this, but you in, in Mate, you have to go down to the uh, first menu selector and then move over to the right and then down the sub-menu to reach what you want. You can't move diagonally, is what he's saying. Um, so, um, I, I tried it in the browser, uh, and, and the Google docs that we're working with right now, if I just click on file, I can go down to new and I can, if I move quickly enough, I can move diagonally down to the fourth or fifth selection on the list. Uh, but, um, if I move too slowly, it's going to require that I actually, uh, go over to the right and then scroll down that menu to, or at least move my mouse down that menu to the selection that I want. And with the Mate desktop environment, or DE as he describes it, you have to do that every single time. You can't ever move uh, diagonally. Uh, there's no delay, in other words, before the menu disappears. Like I said, I never noticed this because... I guess I'm used to playing Pac-Man and I, <laughs> I move, <laughs> I move in those awkward, uh, angular directions. Uh, if yeah, the menu doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's comfortable for me. Um, so, um, I have looked to see if there is anything in the way of an add-on for Mate that allows you to use, you know, as, as he's described them, diagonal menus or move diagonally between menus. And I haven't seen anything that puts that delay into the menu system. doesn't mean it's not there. It's just I haven't found it. So here's another minion, 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 network, network, network thing. If you have run or just our listener feedback, if you've run across anything that helps with uh, the Mate desktop environment and allows you to use, as uh, Scott is describing them, diagonal menus, let us know, and we'll pass that on to Scott, and we'll include it in the show. Okay, that's that's the last one. That's the last email this time, Bill. Whoa. Yeah. That was a, that was a good amount of emails. Most of them were about cloning. <laughs> yeah, well, hey. And Minion. <laughs> and Minions, yes. Cloning Minions. Wait. <laughs> that's a great idea. You could clone me three or four times. Yeah. Wait a minute. That wouldn't be a good thing. Never mind. Forget that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Well, our uh, next episode, I think, Bill, will be our year-end roundup. Yes. I like that. It's so much fun. So if anybody wants to send any uh, news stories that happened the past year or any uh, ideas, send it to us and we will include it. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73.
Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.